This is week two of a three-part series entitled with the, with the banner, Prayer Is. And last week, Barry introed with uh, Prayer Is about asking, and he, and he gave us three challenges. I want to refresh you on that. Pray daily, ask for big, bold things, and trust in God's answers. And if you missed last week's message, you can find that on our Facebook feed for Wellspring Christian, or you can get on to YouTube and look under Wellspring Christian. Uh, that's, that's our channel, and that's who posted that. And I recommend that. It's a great, great start. Asking is a great place to start when you're talking about prayer at any time. And, and people, are, people are here from different walks and different in their faith and, and different periods of growth. And it might be that you're here, you're not even sure what you're allowed to ask God for. Right? Like there might be certain things that are off limits or certain things that are approved. And, and it's like you can, you can drive through a Taco Bell all day long placing your order. But if you're ordering a Whopper, you're going to be disappointed. I'm not saying you're going to be super excited about the quesarito if it comes through. But at least you're in the realm of possibility. So when it comes to prayer, we, we want to be within that, that realm of possibility. But let me lay this on you. As good a start as asking is, if that's all the further you get in your relationship with God, well, he might not actually be your God. He might be more of your drive-through. And we don't want that to happen. Even There are times, undoubtedly, when we feel like we need help from God is so far beyond anything that we can do, and we come begging. Uh, But if that's all we have, we might need to re-examine our relationship. I would be remiss if I did not mention one of the most nationally recognized calls for prayer that has happened in our country since 9-11, and that would be the plight of an athlete named DeMar, DeMar Hamlin. He was a player for the Buffalo Bills who collapsed in cardiac arrest during the game last Monday. I think even if you're not a sports fan, it's, it's likely that you know a little something about this story, uh, even if, if you didn't understand all the details. You've probably heard of it. The game stopped as nearly 24 million people watched medics rush to the field to provide emergency medical treatment to Hamlin, who has improved at this point to a very promising condition. He, is, he's, he survived that due to that immediate help. Uh, he was in intensive care. Uh, his, his first words shared, uh, written out were who won the game. So, you know, his, his head's still in the game. Uh, really, really neat. And the, and the Christian community was specifically encouraged because it was one of the first times uh, that we saw two teams all on their knees praying for a teammate that was in need. Uh, it, it was just, it's so, for so long, taking a knee has, has been the voice of protest. In this, it was the, the voice of unity and the voice of let's talk to God to take care of things that we can't take care of on our own. But perhaps the best excitement came Tuesday on ESPN's NFL Live show as sports analyst and retired quarterback Dan Orlovsky prayed for Hamlin live on air. That was crazy. In a world where people seem really proficient at sending thoughts instead of saying prayers. Listen, if I'm trapped under a a refrigerator in a moving incident, don't send me your thoughts. Get in the car and come over, all right? I need something a little more tangible than your thoughts. Orlovsky bowed his head and prayed. And if you'll go back and watch it, it's it's definitely online. Uh, 
you can tell from his language, his comfort, that this is not the first trip that he's made to God's throne to talk to him and to ask things that were needed. And that was very, very cool. Despite all this, it leaves me feeling just a little bit ambivalent. It's wonderful to see so many people focus on prayer in the midst of a tragic and overwhelming situation. But I also have to recognize, I think we all do, that far too many people in the world view prayer only as asking, only as a last resort. I wonder how many of the 24 million would be confused to find out that in a series on prayer, there's a part two and a part three. Didn't we cover asking already? How much more can there be? And it turns out there's a lot more that we can learn and a lot more that we can depend on. I don't think God does his best work responding to our begs, responding to our asks. I think that he does his best work somewhere else, and that's probably where we need to be because we need to benefit from his best work. If our relationship with God is primarily one-sided, we ask, he delivers, we ask, he delivers, then it's out of kilter. Something's wrong. It's not firing on all cylinders. It's not spiritually healthy. Imagine, if you will, a marriage relationship where the husband is laid out in the lazy boy, and when his tea glass gets empty, he rattles the cubes in his cup so that his wife will come and fill the teacup. You can't look at something like that and think, that's a marriage right there. That, that's what I'm looking for. To, well, some of you might say that, but that's not what a marriage is meant to be. It's not a, a consumer-server relationship. I, I mean, I knew a guy like that, and he did that to his wife. He did that to his first wife. <laughs> and I wish that were a punchline, and sadly it wasn't. Our goal in this series is not about what you can get out of God. This, this is not a, a series called Nine Ways to Get a Better Return on Your Prayers. But this is how a healthy approach to prayer brings you into close alignment with God. So I'll say it again. Asking is a great place to start, but we need to take the next natural step as well, one that balances us towards a healthy, productive relationship with God. And if we're going to do that, we need to take a look at listening. Our Old Testament example this week is going to be Abraham, the big daddy of God's people. He starts out as Abram, uh, if, you're, if you're not familiar with him in the Old Testament, but God affects a name change along the way to reinforce the idea that he has promised that Abraham will be the father of many nations, that the world will be blessed through him, that many peoples will come through him. So we'll see those names used maybe a little interchangeably as we look at some of the early scriptures in Genesis. Abraham burst on the scene in chapter 11 with just a glimpse at his genealogy. I was doing the math, and this struck me, I think, for the first time this week. Abraham was born less than 300 years after Noah's flood. So, so the world was probably looking pretty freshly scoured at that point when he came into the scene. It's really interesting. It, it would be the same time gap as us in 2023 looking at 1731, which, by the way, is when our last of the original 13 colonies was being established. That's our history. And that's how close Abraham was to God's massive worldwide actions. Pretty intriguing. We, we're, we're told in Genesis about his dad, who his uncles were, and so a little close family, and bada bing, bada boom, we're suddenly in Genesis chapter 12 reading this. 
The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham at this point seems pretty much like a nobody. And he has just heard God speak to him directly. That is kind of crazy. In the next chapter, 13, God speaks to him again. Says this, the Lord said to Abram after Lot, Lot was his nephew, had departed from him. Look around from where you are to the north and the south, to the east and the west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I'm giving it to you. Over the span of chapters 12 through 21, we can follow Abraham's journey. And if you were want to do so, I think you'd discover this thing about Abraham, that Abraham is incredibly and profoundly average. He is nondescript. He is fairly ungifted. He is not perfect. We find that out pretty quick in the story. He's apparently not remarkably intelligent because there are no remarks on his intelligence made in Scripture. And that hurts my feelings. Look, I'm a pretty sharp guy. I mean, I don't have to tell you that. Why don't I get to hear God speak to me directly? I know it seems like a silly question, but really there's more merit to it than you might at first think. Because as a baptized follower of Jesus Christ, as a disciple of Jesus, I have something that Abraham didn't have. I have the gift, the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit. Yet I don't see God sweeping into my left ear and giving me some grand proclamations. So it hurts my feelings just a little bit. I had to think about that. Why am I disqualified? I should be a little more qualified than even some of the big hitters in the Old Testament. And I I did some thinking, and I think I came up with at least a partial answer to that. And to to illustrate that, I've asked Darren Grable to come back in. Uh, Darren, if you were uh, blessed enough to be at our One Christmas Night program, Darren was 50% of our MCs that night. Uh, He's a super guy, and he is going to step into the role of God. I know, that's so stereotypical. You're probably so tired of playing God. Let me tell you, the white hair lends a lot. Uh, So he is going to be presenting God in a relationship to me. Now, here's the unbelievably remarkable thing for God's people. Due to Jesus Christ and his work, We have full access to God. Abraham didn't. David, King David didn't. All all the big guys in in the Old Testament didn't have full access to God like we do. We are able to walk parallel with God. We are able to just step in anytime. And if we want to talk to God, we just can. God, I was... I was driving up here this morning, and and it was just a a crazy, foggy uh, morning, and there was very little traffic out, and and it was kind of cold, you know, damp, and and I thought, still, there's so much here that's incredible in your creation, and I I just wanted to say thank you for that. I think it's great, and God might 
say something like, Keith, you can see me in all creation. Keith, I, I don't want you to worry about what you wear or what you eat. Is not life more important than, than those things? Your heavenly Father loves you. Be anxious in nothing and trust in him. That's not a bad thing to hear once in a while. That's, that's straight from God's mouth. We have this closeness, and, and it, it's, I mean, it's literal closeness. This is not an exaggeration of where we can walk with God. I can praise God. I can exalt God. I can complain to God. I can work God in on my decision-making. God, I've got, um, I've got a decision coming up, and I've, I feel like I've got an option A and an option B, and to the best of my knowledge, they're both, I mean, there's, there's nothing going against your commands or anything like that. But I would love to have your input before I, I have to pull the trigger on one of these two things. Could, could, could I get that? Keith, you are loved. You are gifted. You are talented. I will go before you wherever you go. One decision doesn't change who we are. But I want you to know, option B, you might enjoy a little bit more. Trust in your heart. That's where I am. Wow. i got to be honest with you. We're, we're playing roles. That, that gives me the little goosebumps once in a while to hear audibly that kind of a message from God. So why can't I hear God if we're this close together? And I think I figured that out too. I think that, that I have this situation inside my head, and you probably don't, but I do. And in order for me to communicate that to you, I require four more volunteers, and they've already been arranged. So if you, you all would come up here, I'm going to need uh, your mental help. All right. Um, I would, I would love to think this is, you take my picture and you get a little God in there all the time. And it's just perfect and it's just wonderful and it's exemplary. But that's not always the case because in my head, there's more than one voice. In my head, when I wake up at three in the morning and lie in bed wondering why I can be so exhausted and still not be able to sleep, the voices will kick in. This is Dave Strobel. Dave's been up here uh, before to do a little dramatic intervention, and I wouldn't have believed he would have come back, but he fell for it, and we told him we was, he was just serving communion. Um, Dave is going to represent the, the voice that comes to me from the side of my life about, that deals with employment, my job, uh, my, my abilities. What, what kind of feedback am I getting from that? Come on, Keith. You got to get you got to get it together, man. You got to get on those emails and you got to get on that communication with those people. You got to get back with the text messaging. Now, let's talk about your sermons. Your sermons, man. You got to get on that. You got a deadline. You got to get that thing done. Oh my god. Okay, that's <laughs> stupid volunteers. Um, what well, I was talking about somebody else. Um, over here I have Annie Rice. If you, if you were at one Christmas night, the other 50% of the MC team right there, wonderful lady. 
Uh, she is going to represent the voices that I hear from the social media side. And I know I, I'm in big demand social media-wise. What am I hearing from that aspect? Well, I mean, Keith, you're hysterical. You, you've got the dad jokes. You've got the puns. You reminded us just now that you played Joseph. I mean, who else preaches in their bathrobe? And you put that on Facebook and the people loved it. You got three whole likes. You got three whole likes. Is that really it? I mean, you've got five friends. You should get at least five likes. There, there has to be something more. This is Sage, John, John Sage, formally, but it goes by Sage. That's a street name. Also a delicious seasoning for breakfast sausage. Uh, he represents my family. Nothing bad can come from the family relationship angle. Surely, what's that, what's that bringing into the party? Uh, Keith, uh, you have a, a, a date with your wife. You're five minutes late at Fainting Goat. You're, you probably should get going. Oh, and you just got a call from your son. He's broken down on the highway, and he's kind of waiting for you to come pick him up. Oh, and your mom called. You haven't talked to her since yesterday. It's been 24 hours. When are you going to call her? Uh, Keith? Okay, thank you. This is Jillian, and if you, if you spend any time online with us during quarantine, you, you probably know her from morning mug fame. What a gal. And she represents the financial aspect of my life, the credit cards, the checking balance, the bills that are stacked. Well, what am I getting from you? I mean, your, your palate of diet Mountain Dew is getting low, so you're going to have to buy a new palate of Mountain Dew. And um, after that joke, you're going to have to worry about your car and if it's going to start. So you're going to probably have to get some car repair. Done. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So, when it comes time for me to make a decision, if I want to try to listen to God, I open my ears up wide, and this is what I hear. There's no food in the fridge. By the way, are you going to wash? And the idea that I can have a good, productive hearing relationship with God in spite of the worries and the anxieties and the insufficiencies and the reminders that I am not enough is almost impossible. So if I want to hear anything from God, anything at all from God, I've got to do something. I've got to take action. I have to be sure that I am listening to the one who knows me best, the one who wants my best, the one who can bring me to my best. And until I can get rid of the other voices and shut them down, I'll never be able to hear something like this. Keith. Can anyone add anything to their life by worry? Mm. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all of these things will follow. Thank you for bringing that alive. Appreciate it. Big hand for our, our volunteers, our recruits. It's powerful to hear the word spoken, even in pretend. Mm. So... I, I get all these conflicting things. The world is always there because we're in this world. But for me to be able to hear God is going to take intentionality, it's going to take effort, and it's going to take focus. The issue is the world will always bring in the other voices. But also, the issue is that we have an enemy, and our enemy operates to intervene in, with the voice of God in our hearts with intentionality, with effort, and with focus. Never is there more reason to draw close to God. Now, I said I had discovered that I had a bit of a hearing problem, but 
That's not the only problem I've got. Amen? Thanks for the support. I'm not sure which way I wanted the support to go on that. More amens is a little insulting. If I'm going to be completely honest, I have to admit that hearing is not always what it's cracked up to be. Are any of you out there owner-operators of adolescent teens? You got teens in your family? Yeah, yeah. You can tell the ones who have sent their kids off to the Tennessee Christian Teen Convention. They're looking so rested, a little tan, like they got the world by the horns and it's not even fighting back. We, we have the Tennessee Christian Teen Convention has depleted our numbers this morning by about 140 plus people as our middle and high schoolers and a bunch of adult leaders who've got more time than sense have all loaded up on, on vehicles on Friday and drove over to Gatlinburg to the convention center and are meeting with 5,000 uh, other Christian teens and leaders. And it's just really great. And, and again, it's some of your generosity that has made that possible, the, the cost of transportation, all that uh, being handled. We surely appreciate that. Keep those folks in their prayers. They are on their way home right now. And we're excited to hear what, what the convention brought to their lives. Uh, but if, you're, if you have a teen in your family, tell me if this seems somewhat familiar. Hey, Billy. Billy, what? Take the trash out. It stinks. Uh-huh. How long will it take? For the trash to be taken out. Yeah, it's not going to happen today. Or perhaps this. Therese! Just a minute. What is it? <laughs> Therese! You've got to get on that homework. It's due tomorrow. Whatever! Where was I? Okay, it's been a while since I've had a teenage daughter. I'll admit that. That might not be exactly perfect. Um... Or maybe you've got a different hearing problem. Maybe you've got the little junior problems. Uh, a little, little toddler running around your house. You remember the first time you looked down and your toddler had something in their hands that was either dangerous, fragile, or just did not belong there. And you said, what are you doing with that? Put that down. Drop it. And do you remember the day when they didn't? And their expression changed. And you saw the two connections that should never connect, click, as they realized they didn't have to if you couldn't catch them. <laughs> and another 18 years of that nightmare, minimum, minimum. I've got a photo I wanted to share with you today that always comes to my mind when we talk about the difference between hearing and listening. Uh, first, I want to apologize for my appearance. Number one, the 90s were happening to me, and they were merciless. Number two, you don't go into these situations thinking, you know, in about 30 years, uh, this is going to be projected in front of hundreds of people. So there's that. This is one of my favorite photos from my daughter Lydia's childhood. Hands down, or hands up, as it were. It was winter in Illinois, and it was not a pleasant winter. We were... Uh, the proud owners of a pellet-burning wood stove, which was fairly new back in the day. This particular model would burn about 40% of dried field corn, and we were in southern Illinois, so it was a great place. And we would burn that stuff and just get that, that house warm as we could. 
And uh, it was a great place to hang out. We were pretty stingy with the furnace. So if you wanted to be warm, you hung out by, by the wood stove. The problem with the wood stove is that in the center of the door was a, this glass panel, this heat-resistant glass, real thick stuff. And you could see the flames dancing on the back side of that. Man, it was beautiful. It was orange and white and yellow. It was just like staring into any campfire. It's almost mesmerizing, especially when it's warm and comfortable there. But I knew the danger is that anything that beautiful is attractive. So I, being the incredibly good dad that I am, set up this educational moment. And I pulled the chair up there and I I got down with Lydia. And, And we held our hands up. And, and I looked at the stove and I pointed at it and I said, hot, to which she replied, yeah, don't act like you haven't done this. <laughs> so so I, I, I got my hands there a little closer and I said, ouch. And so she said, and I, and I put my finger towards it and I Pulled it away. I said, no, no. And she said, thank you. First service said, yes, yes. No, it's like they've, they've met my daughter. <laughs> and this picture was taken just a moment before she touched the glass. And it, I could be, I could have imagined it. But honestly, I recall hearing a sizzle when her little fingertip touched that glass because that stove was just bouncing around hot. And you know what the first thing she did was, after she jerked her hand back, was to look at me to see how much trouble she was in. And right after that, her finger connected with her brain and told her how much trouble she was in. There was a second picture, but mostly it was filled with those characters above the numbers on your computer keyboard. So I didn't want to share that one. What I'm saying is, Abraham not only heard God, but he listened to God. But there's definitely more to the story of Abraham because God uses Abraham and his son Isaac to give us one of the most powerful images in all of history. It's that story which takes place on Mount Moriah in Genesis chapter 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. And what plays out is one of the highest dramas recorded in Scripture. As Abraham, as Isaac, and as a few servants pack up their gear, take their animals, and they make their way to the area of Mount Moriah. And when they get to the base of Mount Moriah... The servants stay behind. And Isaac is loaded with the wood to climb up the mountain. And Abraham has the knife. And as they climb up the mountain, just the two of them, Isaac says, where is the sacrifice, Father? Abraham says, God will provide the sacrifice. And they get to the top of the mountain and they arrange stones into an altar. And they arrange the wood on top of the altar. And then... Abraham binds the hands of Isaac and lays him across the altar. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. 
Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Wow. What a level of listening to God, but also of trusting him. You know, the, the pictures that we get sometimes in our Bible pages may not be accurate. It is, it is suggested that Isaac at this point is not a boy. He is not a child. He's a full-grown man. Have you ever thought about what it takes? You, you see the little picture of Abraham and his little eight-year-old kid all trussed up? How did the eight-year-old kid carry all the wood up the mountain for the altar? Which means that not only was Abraham so in touch with God and trusting him for results to, to that he would follow that type of command, but I believe Isaac was too. I believe he had learned enough from his father to be right there because certainly he could have overpowered a hundred-plus-year-old father if he thought things were going badly. But he didn't. And they were prepared to worship if that's what it took. And to us, it seems ridiculous. To us, it's a foregone conclusion. He's not going to kill the boy. But Abraham knew what the world did in the name of worship. And they knew to what extents, to what twisted extents that the so-called gods of the pagan world would suggest must happen in order to speak to the gods. It was powerful when we think that, um, that those words, what, what must it have been like for Abraham to hear his name called out at that moment when the knife was poised above his only son? The cool thing about Abraham is he was not known for his wish list. You can read through the story of Abraham, all the accounts. He did some crazy things. He did some stupid things. But he always pursued obedience to God as soon as he recognized where he was. But he didn't ask for a lot. He always listened. He always gave ear to God's commands. And it just paid off with him being the father of many and the world being blessed through him. Do you know what the difference is between hearing and listening? The answer to that and to Abraham's relationship with God, his alignment with the Father, lay in two three-word phrases. Two three-word phrases in the accounts that we've looked at. In Genesis 12, when God promises Abraham that he will be a great nation and that all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through him, the next three words in the story are, So Abraham went. In Genesis 13, the next chapter, when God tells Abraham that he will give him all the land that he can see, that his descendants would be as numerous as the grains of dust on the earth, the next three words are, so Abraham went. In the beginning of Genesis 22, in this Mount Moriah account, when God calls out to Abraham, Abraham's three-word response is, here I am. At the end of the chapter, as Abraham is about to plunge a knife into his son, his only son, the response comes again, here I am. 
Abraham walks in alignment with God because Abraham hears and listens, but mostly because Abraham is obedient. God is able to fulfill his promises to Abraham because and only because Abraham is obedient. It's not about asking God with the right magic words or the rightly worded incantation of magic. It's not about the right posture or the right timing or the right lighting or the right outfit or the right place. It's about being continuously in, a, in a, an obedient proximity to God, to walking with God on a regular basis. That's where the power of prayer is. The closer we are ourselves to being there, walking the same direction with God, the more we will see results from our own prayers, but the more we will also see blessings come to us that we didn't even know were possible. We didn't even ask for them. It's just the perks of living close to God. Prayer is not the only step that puts us in the close proximity to God. The greater, grander step that can be taken involves a sacrifice. It involves what we saw just before the message today. You see, if you do the research, the probability is that that area of Mount Moriah was the same place that would in the near future become the city of Jerusalem. The same place where the Son of God incarnate would walk and talk to the people and share what God's will was. The same place where one day, tortured and humiliated, the Son of God, the only Son, would be led to the cross to become the sacrifice for all people even those who hated God, even those who didn't recognize God. His only son whom he loved. Why does God use that language in the story of Abraham twice? Your only son. It's because it's an image that's being planted in our hearts and minds for the price that would be paid for our sinfulness, for the times where we ask out of greed and out of selfish desire and out of wanting things the way we want them, we talk to God and we get disappointed when he doesn't give us what we want. But for the man or woman who walks with God, regardless of the answers to their prayers, regardless to the answer of their asking, but chooses to trust in God to such an extent that he will always walk, she will always walk in alignment with God's direction. And whether or not you hear the answer in an audible way or in an obvious way, you're still walking with God because you trust him with everything. We think prayer is when we ask God for results, but it's also when we hear our mission, if we listen closely. We think prayer is when we beg for action, But it's also when we should listen for direction. And we think prayer is when we persuade God, but it's when we always learn to obey his plans. Ask, listen, obey, and your prayer life will be revolutionized. Pray with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, I... I, I look back on my experience and so often I come to you thanking you for the day and starting my list of once. And I am sorry. Help me 
through the prompting of your Holy Spirit that indwells, teach me what it is to talk to you because you are a God of love who loves me and wants the best for me and teaches me what I need to do so that I can be my best for you and for all those around me. And with that knowledge, Father, help me in my walk to pray not out of need, but to pray out of love and obedience. In Jesus' name I pray it, amen.